The Toronto Blue Jays are playing pretty good baseball. They currently sit alone atop the American League East just 13 games into the year. There's already some roster moves, storylines, and prospects to talk about, and Ethan Diamandis and I, Mitch Bannon, are here to break it all down as your SI.com Blue Jay beat writers. In this episode, we hit on Kevin Gosman's recent masterpiece on the mound, Toronto's outfield mix, some prospects who could make an impact in the big leagues this year, and some early season trends at the plate and in the bullpen. Please take a second to rate or review wherever you're listening to this episode, and thanks so much for listening to the Inside the Blue Jays podcast. We are 13 games into the 2022 season. The Jays are looking pretty good uh, at eight and five atop the AL East. Um, gone through some some rough patches, dropped a couple kind of crappy games, but overall pretty good. Uh, today was another good one, and that started on the mound, obviously, with Kevin Gosman. He pushed eight innings, eight scoreless, tried to go for nine didn't work. He was pushing a, a Maddox as well. So almost a complete game under hundred pitches, super efficient. Um, you've talked to Kevin Gosman, you know, a lot, you watch him pretty closely. You know, what did you see today that you liked from him? Yeah, I think it was the full kind of Kevin Gosman experience. I think what people might have already kind of overlooked is that this is just what Kevin Gosman is now. This is exactly what he looked like in the Yankees start last week. It's just he had a few hits fall then. And today the hits didn't really fall. There was the Vasquez one off the monster. uh, And then there was a decent single from Xander Bogarts. But other than that, there was basically no hard contact at all from Boston hitters. He had the splitter going. He had the fastball going. The slider really caught my attention today. That's something he kind of talked about a bit, how he worked on in the offseason. It's definitely on my radar to talk with him more about, about where he thinks that pitch is at. Because from an outside observer, it looked like a really good compliment. People were chasing it off the plate. Uh, it kind of moves a little the other direction from the splitter. So it, it is a, a nice third pitch for him to use. It has more uh, horizontal depth. But yeah, this was the Kevin Gosman the Blue Jays signed up for. The reliability, the durability. They'll take eight innings, one run, every single start from Gosman if they can get it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the slider. And yeah, what a weapon that is for a guy who is, you know, straight pitches and, and, um, but to add the, you know, the, the horizontal pitch, like you talked about, I think is a crazy weapon. And I think that was, you know, shown with, I believe it was seven whiffs. I think that pitch was swung and missed on uh, by the Red Sox more than any of his other pitches. And, you know, Sportsnet did a nice breakdown on the broadcast where it showed kind of the depth of where the fastball travels and on the same plane where the slider would dip. So, or excuse me, where the, uh, the splitter would dip. So a, a, um, a slider is another, another excellent pitch. Um, yeah, I think he looked awesome. He looked fluid, you know, he looked like he could throw, you know, into a hundred pitches and well over. So, I mean, super, super encouraging from Gosman there. Yeah. And I think it's kind of building off the Rio start from the day before, uh, we might touch on this later, but the Jays have really had to lean on the relievers early because they weren't getting a lot of starter innings. And then you get six from Barrios and eight plus from Gosman. Uh, you'll take that from your kind of co-aces. I would probably put them so far. Uh, all the time. And I think it, it was good. They had to use Romano today. It turned into a bit of a sticky situation at the end there. I thought they might not come away with it, which would have been a disservice to how good Gosman was, but it was good that they could get him the win. He definitely deserved. Mm-hmm. And another encouraging sign, I guess, from that game was that, 
Uh, George Springer was able to to enter as a pinch hitter. Now he did strike out twice, I believe. Uh, and those swings looked kind of wonky, kind of freaky. Like he looked, and we kind of joke about this, that sometimes he'll take, you know, random hacks or random reps and just look like he's in pain or he's laboring. Uh, those were definitely two swings that I thought looked a little concerning. So, you know, if I'm the manager, I'm probably in favor of another off day for him tomorrow. I don't know if I'd want to take those risks, but uh, yeah, he took a fastball to the forearm on Wednesday and uh, he had to leave the game. He, you know, his immediate reaction looked like he was in quite a bit of pain, but um, x-rays were negative, uh, you know, pinch it today, obviously. So that that's good. I'm pushing for more rest. You know, how do you think the Jays should handle Springer going forward? Yeah, I think the most encouraging thing, obviously it was encouraging that he got into the game today, but the fact that he stayed in and played defense, like this wasn't a, we'll try it out and see how you are, George. He got that left knee matchup there with guys on first and third. It made sense to use him there, but then he stayed in the game. You're right. He did look, uh, I'm not going to say injured, but it it looked a little painful. It looked like he wasn't hundred percent. We've seen a lot of not hundred percent George Springer at bats. And that looked like another one. Uh, But if the x-rays are negative, it's really just a work through the pain thing. It'll get better. You can't really make an injury like that worse. You can't make a bruise worse as far as my, uh, not medical degree having person knows. Uh, but yeah, I think you mentioned you'd probably be in favor of another off day. I believe it would be his first game in Houston since leaving the Astros tomorrow. I don't think George Springer's taking an off day. If I was to place my money right now, he would be in the lineup tomorrow. Uh, but if he's not, the Blue Jays have more questions on their hands. Ever since Teoscar Hernandez went down, uh, and with Springer battling this bone bruise, might have to take a, a day off every so often in the next week or two. The next men up for the Blue Jays in the outfield have kind of been called upon. It's been Rymel Tapia, who was going to be a semi-regular guy no matter what. And then Bradley Zimmer is going to get a run in center field here. Uh, Kevin Biggio's playing some outfield too. But Tapia and Zimmer are the guys who I think we're going to see the most until Hernandez comes back. And Tapia, if we're being being honest, wasn't super impressive in the first homestand. He he looked he was doing what we thought he was going to do. He was hitting the ball on the ground a lot, but it wasn't really finding holes. Uh, I think he's really turned it on in the Boston series. He's impressed me a lot more. I think seven or coming into this series, he had what was it? I think two balls hit over 100 miles an hour, so like pretty hard hit balls. He's had five this series in the last three games, including his hardest hit of the season. So he had that nuke to right field on what was that Wednesday night that kind of jump-started that beginning for the Jays. But Tapia's got to kind of diversify his offense and start hitting the ball hard, start hitting line drives. He can still get his ground balls and be a productive player, but uh, when he starts hitting the ball hard, he's going to be a more usable player. Bradley Zimmer, we haven't seen that come yet. Uh, what do you think about the state, uh, the state of the Blue Jays outfield? Yeah. Yeah. On, on Tapia, when he did hit that liner up the middle off, uh, I think Hauk was still in the game when that happened, you know, he gave a tiny little bat flip. You could see he was feeling himself and that he squared that up as an outside pitch and he got the barrel to it, hit it back up the middle. Um, So that, that was a good sign. I think for me, you know, guys can tell you all kinds of things, but I think going, you know, to a new team after him being in Colorado for so, so long, a new country, you know, guys can say, you know, it doesn't matter. It's part of the game. You know, you move around anyways. I think it takes, it still takes a while, you know, new coaching staff, new environment. Uh, and Tapia is going to become a pretty important player. I think for the rest of the season, if, if this, these first dozen or so games have told us anything. Uh, so nice to see him 
feeling a little bit more confident and getting into his own a little bit. And then Zimmer, I mean, we haven't seen that yet, right? We haven't seen him look any more confident. Uh, he still looks like he's fighting something at the plate. Doesn't look super comfortable. We haven't really seen those deep fly balls, those deep line drives that we know, you know, his power profile is capable of. Um, a quick check before this podcast, you know, his average exit velocity was 77 miles an hour. Like that, that is not good. And that's indicative of a guy who is chopping the ball into the ground quite a bit, which isn't the worst thing in the world. Cause he's got some wheels, but uh, that's not going to cut it. Right. And, you know, he was one of the guys that Charlie wanted to um, work on bunts. You know, when we were in, we were in Toronto for that Oakland series, you know, it was Zimmer, Coteau, I think Collins was even bunting. I think some of the, you know, some of the catchers were doing it, but um, not to, not to say that Collins is going to be dragging a bunt down, but he tried to bunt uh, today, Thursday um, didn't work, but I, I, I like that. So with, with, with Zimmer though, you know, you wrote a nice story on this recently. They have a role in mind for him. Um, kind of that Gerard Dyson role from last year, defensive sub because Zimmer plays such good defense, you know, but there's more upside on offense than with Dyson, but you know, we, we just kind of haven't seen that yet. Yeah. How I kind of understand Bradley Zimmer is he's the type of guy that he's very tools first. And one of his tools is huge power. But the power kind of seems like run into it power where, where he's taking a big cut and he runs into a fastball and it goes 450 feet. We haven't seen him run into one yet. So I don't know if he always kind of kind of looks like this until he gets a hold of one. And they're like, wow, where is that coming from? Uh, or if he's trying to do something a little different at the plate, maybe he's doing a bit of a swing change. We'll definitely have to talk to him because it does seem like he's tweaking something. He's not officially himself. Yeah, you mentioned I, I did write, write about that role, how he could be the defensive sub, the pinch runner. They're asking him to be more than that right now because of the Teoscar Hernandez injury. I think he'll it'll be a lot easier for him when he can kind of know his role. When Teo comes back, he can be a bench bat. He can really focus on specific matchups, maybe start once a week against a guy who uh, his pitches match Zimmer's swing plane, something like that. Uh, but in the meantime, they've kind of had to rely on another lefty bat. Zach Collins has worked his way onto the major league team, into the starting lineup, and now into the cleanup spot. He's a guy you've talked to a couple times and wrote about. Uh, did you see this coming from Zach Collins? It's hitch season. <laughs> <laughs> Every time he, he drops a hit, uh, that's that's what you got to think of. But uh, no, no one saw this. No one saw Zach Collins hitting cleanup against the Red Sox at Fenway. Um, but at this point, you can't really deny it, right? Like you said, Toronto's in a very compromised position with Teoscar down, with Springer in this instance, he was out. Uh, you know, Jansen would fill up the catcher spot, would allow Kirk to DH. There's a lot of variables and a lot of things that have gone wrong injury-wise for Toronto so far. Um, and Zach Collins has actually been one of the surprise, you know, benefactors from all of that. He didn't look very comfortable in New York when we saw him hit. Um, almost seems like since he came back in that Oakland series at home really changed him. Um, you know, he's hitting the ball really hard. He's being selective, and I have a uh, I have a story coming out on him tomorrow on on InsideTheBlueJays.com, uh, kind of about his his approach and and some of the things I've noticed with his his swing selection uh, on certain pitches. But um, yeah, he's got a new approach I think that counters the hitch a little bit, um, and he also just I think feels a little bit more free and easy. 
you know, he's got a good relationship with Toronto's hitting coach, Guillermo Martinez. And, you know, they've talked about a few things and I think they're going to be, the Jays are going to be a little bit less hands-on with Collins approach. And that's not something that he had the, the benefit of in, in Chicago where they were, you know, trying to tinker with things a little bit more. Um, so yeah, Collins is another guy that's, they're going to lean on. And, you know, today I, seeing him hitting cleanup is odd, but, uh, I thought it was the right call, you know, with, with the way they were lining up righty lefty, you know, he, I'm, I'm a little at a loss for words because this is what we're, we're talking about, but, uh, you know, I think it, it was the right move and it, it was effective. He hit a few balls hard. Yeah. I don't think we would have guessed two weeks ago that we were talking about someone filling the Gerard Dyson role and Zach Collins hitting cleanup for these Toronto Blue Jays. That was certainly not on our spring training bingo card, but that's baseball. That's how a season works. A lot of players contribute that aren't even in the organizations during spring training. And uh, the Jays, I think right now have three guys on their, in their starting lineup today who weren't even in on the major league team three weeks ago. So we're already there. They're still winning baseball games, though. They're eight and five. That's really all that matters for Blue Jays fans. Um, but we, in this episode, we have, we opened a mailbag to see if 10, 15 games into the season, if people have questions already, and a couple of you did. Um, some of them touch on prospects. Some of them touch about what's happening at the major league level. We're just going to kind of run down these and use them as discussion points. We'll start with Martin's question here. He asked, what prospects do you think have a chance at cracking the roster this season uh, and when? So I'll kick it to you, Ethan. I'm sure there's one big name that's an easy one to start with here. I'll let you start with it if you want. You can go in another direction. Who's someone you think is going to crack the big league roster? Yeah, one big name, uh, Nick Algeyer. No. Yep, that's uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> he's the guy. So he may, he may end up pitching for Toronto this year. I don't think he's the one that listeners are interested in. Uh, that would be Gabriel Moreno. Um, of course, uh, but off the top as, as a full disclaimer, um, we won't see him until sometime in May at the very earliest, you know, if we see him at all by then, because of course of the, uh, the service time situation, you hold a guy in the minors a little bit longer, um, you get an extra year of control on his contract. Now, Moreno's certainly done everything he can to prove that he's ready um, with Toronto's catching situation you know there's always that temptation to to take a look and and see how he's doing uh quite well no home runs yet um but you know he's got eight hits three doubles he's doing pretty well um in terms of when he makes the roster i think we can agree that it's this year right i think that's yeah i think have to be an injury or danny jansen returns and is dropping a one dot OPS for the rest of the season or something like that. Yeah. I think, yeah, the, the Jansen injury, the timing isn't going to work in uh, Moreno's favor. And just that, I think, you know, Collins has kind of made himself uh, a useful asset. So once Jansen comes back, um, I think that'll kind of be around the time, maybe mid May as my, you know, non-reported uh, estimation, but that's going to, that's going to clog up some time for Moreno. Cause I think that could have been a good time. If, you know, if Jansen was out for the season, then maybe we start talking about Moreno coming up around that time. Um, yeah, I just, he's got the talent. It'd be really exciting. I think he can help this team. I think he can be a major league ready prospect. Um, but you know, there are some limitations just in terms of front office logistics uh, that are going to prevent him from, from coming up soon. But, 
to answer the question off the top, Moreno, sometime this year, um, probably closer to, you know, July, August, September. Yeah, I think Moreno's no-brainer, probably going to be in the big leagues this year. I'll throw out a very specific date. Feel free to buy a lottery ticket if I nail this one. Uh, I think July 28th. That is the date that Bo Bichette got called up in 2019. Obviously, different circumstances. It was right when they traded Marcus Stroman. They had to kind of inject some life back into the team, give fans a reason to come to an otherwise pretty trash baseball team. So it was a different scenario, but they're clearly comfortable calling up a top 10 prized prospect in that late July window. Uh, If Moreno keeps hitting like he is right now, keeps playing like he is, I think the big thing for him is working on game calling just having a full season and working with pitchers he knows uh, he's going to be able to do that with the full Bison's rotation. He's catching a lot. They have a couple veteran guys along there with him. And I think that'll help him kind of learn routines, learn how to game call better, give him a couple months in AAA, and then they can call him up. Uh, another guy who I think this is maybe more of an interesting question than Moreno is Aurelvis Martinez. He's got four home runs in 10 games in AA. The swing and miss is still there. It's kind of a question for me if they slow play him or not. It seems like he is a true, when I think of Elvis Martinez, I think prospect. I think he's a guy who you has all the tools. Very kind of, people are not going to like this, but very Bradley Zimmer-esque. He's got a lot of those tools, the huge power, but it's about refining his approach, giving him the playing time. They don't really have an Elvis Martinez need at the big league level right now. Uh, I think we were talking about beforehand and another, we'll, we'll sneak another question in here so we can answer this one too. Someone else uh, wrote in, forgive me. I don't know the name of this person, but basically asked something along the lines of what's the timeline for Martinez. What does he look like on defense and why are they playing him at shortstop? Well, we'll answer the third one first there. They play all their infield prospects at shortstop. They will keep everyone at shortstop until they prove they can no longer be a shortstop. And then they'll probably still play them at shortstop for a little longer after that. They feel like the shortstop skills uh, can move to any other position. But Elvis Martinez has played six games at short this year. He's played three at third. I believe you said something. He he has a couple errors at short this year, but none at third. We'll kind of have to monitor that playing time split because I'm su- super curious if they mix in some second base. I think that if they start mixing in second base, our major league alarm bells might go off. There's an easier path to the big leagues there, I think. But I would vote no on Martinez big leagues this year what about you yeah this year no and I I remember we you and I have had discussions just off the cuff about you know when we think we'll see him I think 2023 is a good estimate you it would be hard to deny him at that point Um, I see him as like the heir to Matt Chapman at third base right and Chapman of course has all of next year under contract as well Um, so you know maybe there's some value in, in Martinez coming up you know, and to play second base, I don't, I don't know if that's where you're going to start the guy, because I think he has, maybe that's where he ends up in his career. Um, But I don't know if that's where you want to start him. I think, you know, having him and Chapman on the same roster could be beneficial defensively. And, you know, they kind of are, I guess, now that I think of it, similar hitting profiles, right? Big power, uh, big swing and miss, big, you know, physical guys with all the tools um, that just, you know, I mean, Chapman, I don't think you're going to be able to revamp his approach at this point, but, you know, Martinez, maybe there's still a little bit of hope. Um, You know, with that said, I think he's probably a guy starting next season that is in the Moreno spot right now where, you know, 
we could call him up for opening day if we really needed to. You know, they're going to wait through May, and then Arelvis is a guy we'll probably see sometime next season, you know, July 28th, maybe. Hold me to it. <laughs> we'll each make our predictions. You're going July 28th, 2023. Write that down for your Arelvis Martinez debut tickets. I'm sure if you buy them early enough, you can get a good deal. Um, I got three other quick names, but before I go over my list of relievers of interest here, anyone in the minors right now who strikes you as a potential impact player in the big leagues this year? Yeah. Um, I like Samad Taylor. He was a guy that kind of jumped up, uh, through the system last year a little bit. Now he is a non, uh, 40 man guy, meaning that Toronto would need to clear a 40 man spot for him. And we talked about it before the podcast that, you know, it's a good thing there was no rule five draft because we probably wouldn't be talking about Smod Taylor uh, on the Blue Jays. <clears throat> um, he's been awesome so far uh, through 13 games in AAA. Uh, 11 walks to only six strikeouts, you know, a home run, six stolen bases in 13 games. That's pretty darn good. Um, he's kind of a toolsy defender, a guy that doesn't really have a position from what I've gathered, you know, second base, left field. One of those guys like like Tony Kemp, who's in, 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 uh, in Toronto. Um, just recently. Um, yeah, I think he could also, he could kind of fill that like Kevin Smith role from last year, you know, as a guy who, you know, hits his way out of triple a essentially does so well that, you know, we got to give this guy a look. And I, I believe Smith came up in July of last year. So, you know, in the dog days of summer, if Toronto feels the need to call somebody up or, you know, maybe ghost kick a toe, you know, isn't, isn't the, the automatic call up guy for injuries and stuff at that point. Um, Samad Taylor is a guy that I would be quite interested to see because I think he has a, a very intriguing skill set. Um, and he can bring a, a bit more speed, you know, something different to the roster that uh, I think would excite, you know, manager, um, the other players and the fans as well. Yeah. I think him and Otto Lopez are both kind of very similar guys and, Lopez on the roster, so he'd probably get the first crack. But Taylor does very much seem like a, if they have to put someone on the 60-day IL in July and then they need an infielder or outfielder, it's an easy call up there. Because he has tools that are going to play at the big league level regardless, like the speed, the defense, the versatility. Then you just kind of see what you have with everything else. It's a worthwhile gamble. It's the type of gamble that bad teams like to make. A type of gamble, if Samad Taylor was on forgive me the Baltimore Orioles he'd probably have been on the opening day roster they would have given him run just to see what they have there because he's such a valuable and versatile player but he's not he's on a really good ball club in a really good franchise and so he's a little bit lower down the depth chart uh, but speaking of guys who were not protected on the 40 man and could have been exposed in the rule five draft that did not happen Graham Spraker is a guy I'm really interested in he mentioned to me in spring training he would have loved to have the rule five draft because he would have loved to go get selected by another team, learn from their pitching coaches, get to go to a big league spring training and really compete for a job, and they get returned to the Blue Jays. Like, that would have been the dream scenario, he said. He would have loved to go somewhere else, get some tips, work on some stuff, compete, maybe get a little big league appearance, cup of coffee, and then get sent back. He didn't get that opportunity. He's not on Toronto's 40-man. But he's tweaked his pitch selection. He's thrown really hard. He has a bunch of strikeouts in AAA. He's up there with other relievers. Andrew Vasquez, not really a prospect, but he's got five shutout innings, seven strikeouts, one walk right now in AAA. We just saw the Jays call up Taylor Saucedo for Anthony Kay. I think Vasquez is probably the next guy up. If Obviously, Kay brings length, but if you need more of a shutdown loogie type, Vasquez probably gets the call. 
One guy who's maybe so far trending in the different direction, Hagen Danner. He's had a rough two and a third, two and two thirds innings to start the year in double A. He's walked just, or he struck out just one of his 16 batters faced. He's the the guy who was a catcher, now is a pitcher, throws really hard, got put on Toronto's 40 man. So they clearly like him. Uh, it's going to be a learning year for him, I think. He's going to have to compete. Once you start getting the double A, triple A as a pitcher, it gets really hard. So it'll be interesting to see what they have in a guy who throws so hard like that, but is still obviously very raw. Yeah, I'm always in favor of the uh, the catcher turned pitcher uh, storyline. Um, yeah, but I, I one one more guy before we move on um, is Jordan Groshans. You know, he's somebody um, whose stock has kind of faded the last couple of years. I would say I think that's accurate. Um, and he, you know, I talked to him a few times in spring training. This year, he seemed real motivated. Um, I think he's someone who fuels himself on criticism a little bit. Now that has its pitfalls, of course, but it seemed to me that his attitude was relatively positive towards, you know, taking feedback and learning from his experiences, especially, you know, some of his his shortcomings in, in the minor leagues. Um, now he suffered an oblique injury while we were there in spring training, and uh, that put him on the shelf for a while, but uh, Keegan Matheson from MLB.com, you know, reports that, you know, he's coming back to play games in low A um, in, in a rehab stint, I'm assuming, um, obviously not going to stay there. He'll come up to triple a afterwards. He's another guy that could be that is he, he's not on the 40 man, right? That's what we concluded. Um, I believe he is, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Okay. I'll look it up. You keep, well, talking. yeah, of course, if, if he is, if he isn't on the 40 man, um, I, I think he is, but Mitchell, tell us in just a second, he's the guy that could fill that, um, that another guy that's that Kevin Smith type player, you know, someone who, you know, if, if Groshans can show that he can hit his way out of triple a, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll give him a peek. So he's not on the 40 man roster. Not yet. So that, yeah, they would need to clear a roster spot for him, but a top prospect like that, when it's his time, you will clear a spot yeah. for him. It's safe to say he would have been on the 40. Did they have to choose the 40 mans before we found out that the rule five draft wasn't going to happen? Yes, I believe that was in November. It was sometime pre-lockout. Okay. So I find it odd that he wouldn't be on that. I'm sure it it's an, an, an eligibility thing. Like, okay. I, I think he probably hadn't hit his four and a half years in the minors or something like that. Mm-hmm. So next year, I believe he'll have to be put on the 40-man or be exposed. Yeah. Yeah. So Groshans, you know, one last guy that I we really went down the rabbit hole with, like, every possible prospect. But this is what you get when you ask us a mailbag question. Um, but we have a couple other ones, so I'll throw to Mitch for our next uh, topic. Mm-hmm. That we are now back to the to the big leagues here. If you care more about the current Blue Jays than the next Blue Jays, uh, we'll thank Cameron for this question. He said, uh, "Will the Blue Jays hitting with runners in scoring position improve before Teo and Danny get back?" Uh, I think this is a super interesting one because yeah, they're winning baseball games, but it's kind of a similar vibe to last year where they were a really good offensive team. But then in late game moments, they were weirdly unproductive. And we've seen the trend kind of continue into this year. Uh, obviously, Cameron mentions Teo's out. He's a big run producer. Danny Jansen can add a different flavor to the bottom of the lineup for sure. And he can knock in some runs. Uh, what do you think the Jays have to do to start knocking in these runs besides just getting timely hits? Yeah, I don't know. I think it it's hard to say like Teo is not only, you know, one of the run producers, he was like the run producer last year. Right. If I'm not mistaken, I believe he led the team in RBIs. 
Um, so that, you know, that's huge. Like, and very quickly we see Toronto's super deep lineup turn into like, uh Oh, like who are the, like we got Bradley Zimmer playing, you know, three out of four games hitting eighth or ninth. I think that comes, I, I think the key is, is just guys like Santiago Espinal who came up really clutch in that Texas series. And then I think he had one good game in, against Oakland as well. Um, he's kind of cooled off since then. I think we need the timely hits from him. Uh, Kevin Biggio is another guy who can really make or break the momentum in that lineup. He only has one hit this year. We haven't seen him look uh, terribly clutch. And because of all this, um, Toronto is really near the bottom in, uh, you know, stats wise in terms of hitting with runners uh, and scoring position. So they have a 167 average uh, and they're 515 OPS with runners in scoring position, which is really gross. Yeah. Um, only the Orioles and the Twins are worse. Uh, now, for a lineup like Toronto's, that's that's kind of suspect. Now, that's maybe something that, you know, when Toronto comes back, we can talk to Guillermo, we can figure out, you know, maybe there's they're bringing the guys together and having a chat about a pro, team approach versus individual approach. Um, because I think sometimes for the guys who aren't established, so let's say, you know, the Zach Collins, the Tapias, um, Espinal, Biggio, guys we talked about um, who don't maybe have enough reps in the big leagues to understand or get the leeway that a guy like George Springer would. So, you know, if George Springer goes and, and, and chases a bunch of pitches and strikes out, he's maybe not getting that same talking to that, you know, Tapia is or Biggio is. Um, so it's a problem for now. I think it'll be interesting to see if we see kind of a team change in approach. Um, but I think the bigger answer to that question is just, guys are injured guys are missing you know and those at bats like you said where Danny Jansen would be stepping up to the plate you know with a couple guys on and two outs you know instead it's Bradley Zimmer right and uh and if it's repeatedly Bradley Zimmer we're going to see those stats go down because Bradley Zimmer does not have a hit yet as far as I know um so that's that's kind of a lame cop out but to answer the first part of the question yes yes and yes um the Blue Jays offense will get a lot better once Teo and Jansen are back yeah, I think Teo goes very unappreciated in this Blue Jays team. And I feel like we've gotten to the, gone to the point where people talk about how unappreciated Teoscar Hernandez is more than they actually appreciate Teoscar Hernandez. I think moments like this and a couple of weeks when he's out really make you realize how important he is to this lineup so that it's not Zach Collins and Lourdes hitting fourth. You'd much with those guys have actually performed mm. really well. I, I've really liked Lourdes's approach so far this year. He's yeah. taking pitches that I don't think he would have taken in previous times, but those guys are just so much more valuable when they're batting sixth and seventh in your team. And that's when the Blue Jays lineup is deep. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned Lourdes. I totally forgot about him. Um, yeah. He's, he's, his approach has looked a lot better and his average is a little better because of it. Uh, but we, you know, we're still waiting for those, that fly ball power. Uh, you know, he doesn't have any home runs yet. And um, I think because he he's a guy that runs into like massive heaters, like he will heat up. Like I think it was September last year um, before his his finger injury where Randall Gritchick stepped on his hand. Uh, he was on fire, on fire, one of the best hitters in the league. Um, so, you know, maybe if he runs into one, you could see a pretty dramatic switch in those runners and scoring position stats. Bichette, uh, promising today. You know, he had a couple hits. Um, he looked a lot better, uh, a lot calmer. And Joe Siddle of Sportsnet did a really good breakdown on kind of his approach and how his leg kick changes with two strikes. Um, so, you know, he talked a lot last year, funny enough, Bichette did about 
you know, he's having this great season and he's like, yeah, I'm still not comfortable at the plate. You know, he kept saying that, like, ah, it still doesn't feel right. Like, you know, it, it's hard to believe, but when you see him kind of change his, you know, his stride uh, with two strikes and as he fights it a little bit here to start the year, you know, maybe you can believe that. Um, and Bo's a very hardworking individual. So, you know, he's always probably working on something, but him and Lourdes, they can just get a bit of an uptick uh, in their production, get back to the level that everyone knows they're capable of hitting at. I think, uh, I think this Toronto lineup will be just fine. Yeah, uh, I think so too. They're going to score a bunch of runs. Uh, I think there's no question about that. If they score them in the first inning versus the ninth inning, really, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, as long as you score more runs than the other team. Uh, but the easiest way to score runs is to hit with runners in scoring position. Uh, moving on to our next question from Sean. Uh, this is another big league question about kind of a trend we've seen in the first 13 games here. Uh, Sean asks, are the Jays using the relievers too much? Uh, a simple question. Ethan, are the Jays using the relievers too much? <laughs> well, they didn't have much of a choice at the beginning, did they? Um, from Certainly opening... not in, on opening day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That set the tone. Well, man, what a game that was. Um, yeah, that, that set the tone pretty quickly when um, – who who came out to really Taylor Sacedo yeah. was out there at this to get the second out in the first inning of opening day. I think that tells you um, how exhausted the bullpen was going to end up by the end of that weekend. Um, so statistically, actually, no, Toronto isn't using the relievers too much. Um, they have the 13th most innings pitched um, in the majors. Um, their 399 FIP is 23rd in baseball. So that could be a little bit better but all things considered i think not too bad um when we were in toronto for that oakland series last weekend you know charlie held up his color-coded bullpen sheet and he said you know a lot of red a lot of guys are down you know you know simber through 26 pitches or whatever you know yimmy's yellow you know romano can't go there guys they're definitely getting their their work in but um i wouldn't say they're overworked i think it's really promising that Toronto's now turned in two of their long, their two longest uh, outings from starting pitchers back to back on, uh, on Wednesday and Thursday. That's really promising, but maybe to, to branch out this question a little bit more, you know, what have you really liked from the bullpen so far? Yeah, I think this is maybe a cop out because it's kind of what you've just been discussing. The length that the bullpen has given them has been super impressive. Uh, I think you have to look no further than the opening day to realize that the bullpen has given them a chance to win games. If you're going specific standouts, I think uh, Jimmy Garcia and kind of the strike throwing he brings to the bullpen is super impressive. Uh, they kind of, they brought Adam Simber and Trevor Richards in last year to calm the bullpen. And one thing they did is they just didn't walk guys. And that's something the bullpen really struggled with during the bullpen blow up days that we kind of got a trigger warning for in the ninth inning today. It seemed like another one of those games. But uh, yeah, I think strike throwing is super important for this entire bullpen, they're going to have three run, four run leads. If you don't want to blow those, just throw in the zone. You can give up solo shots. You just can't walk guys. Uh, Jordan Romano walked a guy today and then he immediately calmed down, got ground balls, got strikeouts. And that's what they need to do. If you walk a guy, don't walk the next guy. I think it, it sounds simple, but that's what's been good about the, uh, the Blue Jays bullpen so far. And that's what's been able to give them length is their, their pitch counts aren't that high, even when they're giving two, three innings of work. Yeah. We've seen Tim Mesa rip off a couple quick innings. Uh, Jimmy Garcia, like you said, you know, has kind of just 
you know, with, without, you know, a peep from anyone else or without making it a big deal, he just taken over the eighth inning role. Like, I think we'll see Jimmy for the most part, get that eighth inning. I mean, Mesa is quite good as well, but um, he's like a second closer, right? Uh, you did a nice story on him on inside the blue um, Another guy, <clears throat> excuse me, really impressive. The fireman, David Phelps, I think, uh, he's come in and thrown strikes and kind of picked up where he, he left off, you know, minus the eight or 10 months of torn lat injury, you know, grossness, um, quite a difficult rehab for him and uh, happy to see him back and doing well. Um, I think that's good. And I also think, you know, to answer the original question is the bullpen being overworked. Um, Toronto's using the, the, just up, up, down with guys, right? We saw Sacedo get called up, kind of surprising, I thought, because, you know, he struggled when he was up here originally, uh, and Anthony Kay went back down. So before May 2nd, I believe, you can option um, players up and down, you know, unlimited times. After that, you know, there's a limit of five for the season. So that may change a little bit. And then with a shortened spring training, I think it was always going to be wacky. Uh, not as wacky as Toronto kind of started that opening weekend, but um, wacky nonetheless. And I think things are evening out right now. So um, expect some longer outings from, from Toronto starters. Um, that should start. It might not start tomorrow though, um, because against the Astros here, we have Ross Stripling going on Friday. He's facing Justin Verlander. That could very well end up being kind of a bullpen ish game. Stripling was working really, really well against Oakland last Friday and he only ended up going four innings. And I think that had a little bit to do with, you know, his, his, his pregame, his pitch count that he was at. Uh, and just, I think also how Charlie had the game mapped out in his head. Um, but yeah, what do you, what do you expect kind of from stripling on Friday? And then, you know, after that, maybe about this whole uh, Houston series in general. Yeah. I think the way I kind of looked at, the game today on Thursday against the Red Sox is the Jays probably want to win this one because going into Houston and taking two to three of Houston is a lofty goal. I think you probably look at trying to go two and two in those four games, including the last Red Sox game in there. Uh, and they got the first one. So now they can try to go two and one if they really want to. In terms of the Friday start, Stripling, I'm very curious to see the length that they choose to use him for because they're going to rotate him He's in the rotation now. Hyunjin Ryu is on the IL. Stripling's in the rotation. We don't know how long that's going to last, but they're open to kind of moving him back into that long man role whenever they get another fifth starter back. I would expect if he's dealing like he was last weekend, they give him five innings. Maybe they push him to six, but that still means you need a, a decent chunk of outing uh, from your bullpen. I think Stripling's the type of guy who he could match up well with the strong Houston lineup they have a lot of righties i believe which is good for him especially with that knuckle curve that dies away from them uh, but then once we get into the weekend the blue jays do draw a tough pitching assignment in general i think they got uh or kitty and then luis garcia who was almost the rookie of the year last year that's three really good right-handed starting pitchers uh, it's tough i think we're going to see a lot of zach collins in the lineup this weekend i think they're going to need those lefty bats and with those crawford boxes if collins can just pop one over to left field, get the short porch going, maybe a couple doubles. Uh, they're going to have to work with it. I think it's going to be a tough series for Vlad and Bo. Uh, Houston's a really smart team. They're probably going to keep doing this thing that all the teams are doing now where they just don't pitch to Vlad and they see if he chases. 
Uh, it's kind of been working. Teams are walking him, but he hasn't been doing much damage, at least in this Boston series. Uh, I, I think it'll be an interesting test. This is a really hard run of games for the Blue Jays, and Houston's kind of the cream of the crop in this run, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Houston played Toronto really hard last year. Um, so Toronto only won two of six games against Houston, and uh, they were outscored by 16 runs. Uh, so Houston beat them up. I mean, if you were looking at team stats last year and, you know, home runs, average, OPS, you know, WOBA, OBP, you were looking at everything. It was usually a competition between Houston and Toronto for that first place spot. So Houston has a pretty exceptional offense. I think I think that's known. And as Mitch pointed out, drawing a, a difficult starting pitching matchup. Um, I think Jose Altuve went on the injured list today. Um, so that could be that could be a little bit of a difference. Uh, no Carlos Correa, obviously, anymore, though. Um, their new shortstop, I don't remember his first name. His last name is Pena. Do you remember Jeremy, I believe. Jeremy, and I yes. think he's been sick. Yeah, he's been great. So, I mean, I'm, it'll be exciting, to, I guess, to, to, to see him. Maybe not so much if you're, you know, a Blue Jays fan or a Blue Jays player. Another guy you might not be so happy to see if you're a longtime Blue Jays fan is Justin Verlander. Uh, he's been away from the game for a little while. Um, but you know, he seems to always have Toronto's number, you know, he threw that no hitter, uh, at Rogers center some years ago. Um, he's dominant. <laughs> he's an MVP. He's a Cy Young. Um, but actually when you look at the stats, I guess Toronto kind of avenged that, uh, that no hitter because through 14 starts, Toronto has actually hit him around for, well, a 428 ERA. That's not exactly roughing a guy up, but for it Justin is the Verlander standards. It kind of <laughs> is. That's, it's above. <laughs> It's above 100 OPS plus. Mm. So he's allowed 14 home runs in those games too. Um, I think, you know, though when you play good teams, it usually comes down to one or two big hits. And those situations usually happen with runners in scoring position and two outs. So historically, this well, this season, Toronto has not done so well in those situations. I think, uh, as you mentioned, it'll be a pretty, pretty good test. Yeah, I think so too. And I think then what they get New York, they get Boston again after that, the, the gauntlet kind of continues for the rest of this month. Just before we step away for this episode, I did want to give a shout out. I, uh, maybe he's a listener to Buck Martinez. Uh, I haven't had too many conversations with Buck. It's interesting to be able to call him kind of a peer, sort of a colleague. He's a guy who was very much the voice of the Blue Jays for me for a long time. He, if you missed it, he was diagnosed with cancer. He's going to be undergoing treatment he'll be stepping away from the broadcast booth just wanted to give him a shout out and wish him the best i'm sure you echo that sentiment ethan Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah we haven't had a ton of interaction with buck he's usually a pretty busy guy um but you know that energy that he has on the broadcast uh you know his laugh and his smile that's that's not just an act that's who he is genuinely um so yeah definitely quite saddening to hear his diagnosis but i think you know most of the Blue Jays community echoed this sentiment that, you know, he'll, he's a fighter. He'll fight through it. Uh, and so, yeah, us here, our podcast at inside the Blue Jays, we're definitely wishing him the best. Perfect. then yeah. So you can catch us. We'll do another recap of the previous series, talk about some storylines and move on to the next ones. Uh, same time next week, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So stay tuned and thanks for listening.